So awareness in the flow of experience. There's always awareness in the flow of experience, otherwise it won't be experienced. <coughs> There's always awareness in the flow of experience. It's not something one has to create. It's, you can't experience things without being, being awareness. Yeah. And of course, all kinds of uh, ripples and currents occur within that as things get moving and reactivity begins to occur choosing, seeking uh, discriminating um, avoiding so forth these movements begin to occur and uh, and then there's a, a sense of where's the orientation So their orientation is well, what to, what to do. Yeah. So when we come to meditation, it's, it's like, well, what, what do we do? Or in our lives, what do we do? And the two kinds of um, reflexes that, that occur one is not knowing what to do. So, so this is and the other is knowing what to do. Both of these are actually subject to stress and suffering. So the one who doesn't know how to meditate tends to get caught in this um, searching for the right one. Searching for the right one means the one that will provide, you know, searching for the one that will provide you know, security, warmth, fruition, growth, and so forth, searching for the right one, that will provide that. Mm. And the one who knows what to do, grabs on to one that they assume is the right one, sensing this will provide growth, fruition, and so forth. The first kind of person subject to worry and doubt, same kind of verses, subject to conceit and dogmatism.
All doing is guesswork. Uh, it's really better to get that clear at the start. And to know how to guess, how to find, how to... Uh, recognizing in this experience there is an innate intelligence, there's an innate intelligence, there's innate uh, clarity, there's an innate uh, wisdom, there's an innate refuge. And if we we uh, allow that to arise, we get a sense of where could that arise, and a sense of being open to that. Doing is guesswork, being is, is clearer. So this is chitta, being. Mm-hmm. And within being there are these currents of becoming, which are those which currents that move towards a future fruition or a future disaster, depending on the inclination. Yeah. How, you know, so the future disaster, or the future, how long is this going to take? Oh no, this is going to be difficult. So that Vibhava instinct, the current towards, I don't want to have to be this. This is going to be painful, this is going to be gruesome. i got to brace myself for this, this is going to be tough. How long is this going to go on for? <laughs> and the other one is the, that which searches for well, I get into this issue, see me right, I'll sort this out, get on with that, and that'll be there, then we'll arrive, won't we? That'll be it. <laughs> Just knock it out. This is called the bower instinct. The bava, the instinct, or the reflex towards becoming something. Both of these uh, hypothesize the future. The future may be one minute away, two minutes away, ten seconds away an hour away, a lifetime away, it's away. This is the, these are the currents moving away. And uh, the Buddha said, there is a place where these currents cease. Vichitta is freed from the current of becoming, the current of non-becoming. The current of sensuality, the current of views and opinions. And the current, the flow of delusion and ignorance that keeps imagining there is the right current, the right tide to follow. And the Buddha teaches the ending, the ceasing of tides and currents. <coughs> so, you know, when we come to our place where we have opportunity for resolution, mm. we learn to just begin to take the pause. We've taken a pause in our lives, pause in our day, pause in our year. And lengthen the pause, and rather than seeking, uh, inquire, and acknowledge, recognize where the sense of 
agreeable, stable, clear, to any degree, arise as a sign of truth, a sign of refuge, a sign of safety. Uh, the, word, the Buddha used many words for Nibbana, the island, the refuge, the truth, the peaceful, the unconditioned, the unborn, the non-created, the thing you don't have to do, the end of becoming. He used many, the light. So, these are words, obviously, and you have your own, can have your own felt sense, your own metaphor, your own, you know, in fact you don't even have a word or metaphor, but some sense of uh, that. Where's the balance point? The center point? place you don't have to make happen, effect, do. What would it be like if there were such a possibility? Wouldn't that be rather beautiful? Mm-hmm. Quality of faith, such a possibility there is. Mm-hmm. Buddha saying there is this possibility. Mm-hmm. By knowing experience as it is. In the sense of full awareness of experience as it is. And as I said, experience is both seemingly, you know, stuff that's moving and an awareness of it. You can't really separate the two exactly, but towards awareness, that's going to provide some sense of reference point, which is not exactly a point within the field of phenomena, so much as a basis or a stand or viewpoint on phenomena. There's a certain stability in that. Mm. Acknowledging this, recognizing this, some some practitioners will just abide in that place. Uh, in a sense that with whatever supports are there. Mm. This uh, is a reasonable position. Uh, but the tendency with this is to uh, to not generate or allow to form the strength and also to neglect or being able to dismantle the potentials within the field. If one's a little bit distant from the field of experience, with its moves and currents and tides and compulsions, so one is kind of hovering above it, doesn't really have the skill to listen deeply to it and clear it. So, in this lifetime one is still susceptible to reflex, reflexive responses, reactivities. The other possibilities is one enters the field of experience, say, and using the body. And then this is of course difficult in many ways, 
because in this body there's a lot of turbulence and once one comes into body all the issues around body begin to arise including the seen by others, the safety, the hurt, the pain and so forth bodily discomforts not, not comfortable abiding but you're certainly in the territory where all the reactivities and potentials occur and the Buddha said um, he doesn't recognize that one can really fulfill or um, abide in the deathless without mindfulness of body this is something in here that does need to be realized within this or this causes a strengthening and what this is about is that all this in this field of experience there are tremendous potentials potentials for fear potentials for rage potentials for pain potentials for craving potentials just there in this field of experience and uh, they need to be dismantled not every detail but just the basic undercurrents of tendencies towards uh, fearfulness towards aggressiveness towards holding on towards craving towards views and opinions towards selfhood and the Buddha says if this is accomplished then there is no the seeds are removed there is no further becoming <coughs> so to widen the perspective on uh, why this what this is all about the Buddha referred to um, certain uh, qualities or certain ways in which experience gets organized reflexively automatically you might say without a choice um, and he assembled these in a group called the aggregates aggregate means something stuck together it's an aggregate it's not an individual entity but it's an accumulation aggregates of several things stuck together uh, and this he said this is occurs with birth is the arising the aggregation of, of potentials and the aggregation of form experience comes in terms of form tactile form visual form auditory form something that occupies seems to have a substance to it even a kind of semi-immaterial substance like a solid thought by and large this is held to be the physical form either most specifically this body or the bodies of others and so when you contemplate this you can begin to recognize well this this body of, of mind is really you know not one single form but actually a whole vibrant mass of feelings, sensations, perceptions, um, energies and so on so it's, it's, it's all stuck together and held in the mind as an entity uh, it's aggregated stuck together as a singularity when it isn't a singularity but it's held to be that way so the, this mm, so it's, it's a seer and an aggregation that's held to be an entity. Uh, and so this occurs 
consciousness. And consciousness is, is that which formulates experience into an object of some kind and somebody experiencing it. So it aggregates in those ways. Very simple aggregation of two things. Yeah. Now there's two things but manifested through six different bases. There's the visual object and the seer. The one who's experiencing that. There's a tactile object and the one who is touched. And so through these six bases. That's stuck together. And it's stuck together to, to be like the same person who's seeing, hearing, thinking, touching. It's invisible aggregate. It's invisible uh, entity. Uh, and that's stuck together. Yeah. Actually seeing something is a very different experience from hearing something. Yeah. And clearly the one who hears is not the same it's not the same experience, but directly experiences the seeing. Hearing being is a lot more tentative and perhaps stirred. Seeing the seeing entity has a sense of what's there, I'm here, you know, separation. The tactile being experiences themselves as very effective, touched, no distance at all. Mm. Mm. In fact, the one who is touched is immediately affected. And there's, there's a lot more precariousness around the touch sense. Different being, different subject. Mm-hmm. You, know, you see me, I feel okay. You come and touch me, I feel slightly more uh, stirred. Mm-hmm. Not the same entity, though it's held to be the same entity. It's holding together into a singularity what is really a range of different experiences. Okay. Feeling. Experience of disagreeable or agreeable. It's a differentiation. What does all feeling do? It has a push to it, an energy that pushes. Feeling pleasure, push towards. Feeling pain, push away. It's a current, pushes, drive. Intense, feel thrown into that experience or really resisting it. Pleasure, pain. It is a powerful aggregation of two forms, but it occurs through a number of bases. The two bases of feeling, body base and mind base, only two. Bodily pleasant, bodily unpleasant, mental pleasant, mental unpleasant. Visual sense has no pleasure or pain, but the mind finds things beautiful or ugly. So the mental base tends to dominate, as it dominates everything else. The entity held in the mind is the dominant entity. The entity held as the as the unity of, of the one who sees, hears, touches. That's the dominant one. 
So this aggregation always tends towards a unified self, who is the subject of seeing, hearing, touching, thinking at the same time. <laughs> who is both, yeah, you know, in a body and yet not aware of it somehow. <laughs> and yet feeling completely identified with the body, but having no experience of their liver, their spleen, their, their pancreas, the hairs on their head, the toe, toenails, the teeth, and yet assumes they are in this body. And when they're actually only fleeting impressions of it, and sometimes almost no impression at all. So that the mental impression of I am this body dominates even when there's no very little tactile impression of it at all. So the mental aggregation is the one that dominates it. Why is this? Because the two powerful aggregates, which is the one of interpretation, perception, meaning, impression, sanya, what does things signify? The signifier is the thing that attains a generic single definition of what is really a range of experiences. So we might say, you know, a certain spherical thing, which has the nature of being spherical, orange, a certain size, a certain texture to it, we call that an orange. Even though, when you look at it, it has slightly different colours, and in that, as we see that in orange, we imagine juicy, sweet fruit, eat it. We don't necessarily think of it as a you know, get a baseball bat off it, whack it. <laughs> what you could do. So, out of a particular range of of visual experiences and mental interpretations of that, we arrive at a something called an orange, a fruit to eat. Of course, it could be made of rubber. It could be filled with poison. But we see that shape and we've got orange. And there may be around that certain perception, certain reflexive uh, activities start to occur. Oh, tasty, juicy, get one. Uh, Something like that. Or offer it. Make a pie out of it. Squeeze it. So this this reflexive response, sankara, mental activations, occurs. So... So this is the so all this is happening you know, as as aggregation begins to occur. It occurs through it becomes to enter a world of separate entities of of continuing uh, entityhood. There are fixed people. There are such things as fixed people, fixed oranges, fixed cars, fixed nations, fixed views that are there. and generating responses and reactions. The search for orientation continues within all that to find the right entity or the right line-up of entities to maintain orientation. And so this is our life, isn't it? Steering our car through oranges. (laughs) Searching for searching for the right one and wondering why it doesn't quite 
work because it, it, because it's a fabrication. The, the whole thing is a constructed conjuring trick, fabrication. That, that substantiality, permanence and satisfaction are the inferences that are not derived in this experience because they're not based upon anything actually substantial, satisfactory or authentic. So it can't provide it. So the Buddha called these the five aggregations or kanda or aggregates. And this comes with birth. Birth comes in with birth comes this sense of uh, reflexive uh, forming of these of this aggregation activity, and then we just add the details depending on our environments. You know. And that goes on. So in any environment. You close your eyes, they're still there. You sit in silence, they're still there. You don't have visual objects, but you have mental objects. And you still have the search for orientation going on within a world, perhaps, of always, when you close your eyes, ears and so forth, you still have the two powerful bases of body and mind with their powerful potentials for feeling and their powerful potentials for becoming and non-becoming. Mm. Which the mental drive for becoming or non-becoming is the most powerful. Body just seeks more comfort, uh, freeing from pain a simple sensory drive. Mind searches for security, finality, uh, and it's postponed to the future. This is the this is the thing you perhaps begin to sense where the the whole illusion come falls apart because it's always postulating on a future arrival in the world of time and yet really where, where is the future where is the world of time where is it can you notice how it changes if it's unpleasant, this is much too long. If it's pleasant, it's much too short. How long is a minute? You know? A minute of pain? Unbearable. A minute of pleasure? Well, only a minute. <laughs> so, so time as experience is really just a measure of the pressure in your nervous system. <laughs> the pressure to have or to get away from, to hoard or to perpetuate something or to bring it to an end. The pressure 
of feeling in what you call time. And this feeling is not based uh, purely upon tactile, the mental feeling is the dominant one. As in all cases, the mental aggregation provides the most lasting uh, false orientation. So, you know, we imagine days, years, months, hours, progress, development, furthering through there, you know. The mind is very capable of doing these and, and providing lots and lots of advice on how to arrive at this place. Uh, spends considerable amounts of time and energy in the here and now weaving and concocting in intricate and detailed precision steps towards that future place where we will finally be sorted, tidied, restful, cleaned up, comfortable, satisfactory. Uh, I'm doing this quite a long time now. <laughs> Perhaps I'm not working hard enough at it. <laughs> another channel I can go to. You know. I've only got 600 on my TV set. There's a 601th channel I'm missing out on. So this is the, one of the big delusions of the culture, isn't it? It's called the option overload. So the belief is there is a becoming that could be fruitful if you're suffering. It's because you haven't found the right one yet. So switch on to channel 702. Okay, not enough, how about 725 or 800 or, you know, try cycling up the Amazon wearing a feather boa or something like that. Provide <laughs> <laughs> you with the experience that you really need to have. Go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. <laughs> the things that, that people do that you know, it's probably give rise to a certain bursts of agreeable feeling just because it's different. And then, yeah. so the shortcut is to be wise and to begin to be aware of the pattern, the patterns in the field, the currents in the field. So this is why we meditate. Meditation is just as miserable as everything else, <laughs> in many respects. <laughs> but it kind of condenses it. <laughs> Makes it more portable and, and free. <laughs> that sense of, you know, the portability of it, you, it's, it's a lot, you, you just see, wow, this is really is a mess. And so, but then it's not your fault, it's not as if you're doing something wrong, but one, the mind is under the influence of this delusion and ignorance and, and being caught in the currents. It's not a choice. And bear that in mind, 
there is a degree of choice, a degree that aggregation, these things coming together, is not a choice that one can opt out of at this particular time. That may become available. You know, some, who knows, you know, things fruition that may become available, it isn't available now. These things we do experience form, feeling, consciousness, bringing things in, the sense doors. So this is not, uh, it's not possible to not experience these in aggregation. And they are formulated, programmed. Not possible to not experience the tides of becoming and non-becoming, pressure, the pushes. Not possible not to experience those. It is possible to uh, step back, you know, pause. It's just possible. It is possible to pause. <laughs> Called heedfulness. The pause point is the point called heedfulness. Uh, pay attention. Uh, have no other aim but to pay attention to how it is. Feel the riptides, the pulls, the pushes. That is possible. Because we, we are aware. There is awareness. It's always there in the experience. We just crystallize awareness. Potentize a little bit more. Make more of it. It's called paying attention. And then, but don't go into material, just contemplate tides of it. And you let your understanding arise with that. It's there, it will arise, you're not stupid. Um, it will arise, you'll feel the pull and the pushes, and you begin to assess this experience of being pulled and pushed, whew, you know, that's not that comfortable, is it? Wherever it says it's taking me to, the feeling being taken itself is not a refuge, not steady, not comfortable, not, uh, you know, uh, or something reliable, losing ground. So this is possible, to have wisdom is possible, awareness is possible, wisdom is possible. Careful attention, as we, as we begin to, that wisdom begins to rise, we perhaps are able to assess, you know, within these tides, perhaps what, where, where are the tides that at least are less violent, less abrasive, uh, at least move towards temporary rafts where things are where I can survey things more clearly. Uh, in sense, well, if we operate these things within moral boundaries, we place certain boundaries on experience. We can't necessarily moderate what happens, but we can moderate the boundaries of it. Yeah, let's keep this in the virtue boundary or the generosity boundary or the non-hatred boundary or something of that nature. Let's refrain from acting in these ways. That at least puts a limit on how experience unfolds. You can check that. This is called right effort. 
and we can begin to navigate towards qualities that are at least more soothing, endearing, uh, agreeable. Begin to bear some kind of fruitions that are agreeable. And so then we just, this is how we begin to form our cultivation practice. I and mean, it's following those same themes, really. Because it's a, it's a process in a dynamic as there is this creative input to moderate and to moderate boundaries and to affirm the agreeable, that is which is most soothing, calming, steadying, reliable, you know. Within that, that process, you just keep following it and it has a, has a way of deepening. So, as one, as boundaries are established, then certain phenomena do not have to keep arising. The guilt, the, uh, the sense of defensiveness, so if one is cultivated sealer, the sense of guilt and remorse does not have to keep entering the field. Or if it does, it comes in subdued ways over actions in the past. We're not furtive, we're not defensive. So that helps to generate one less quality of stress in the field. As we incline towards that which is gladdening, comforting, soothing, beautiful, Mm. It tends to generate a quality of, uh, of confidence. Mm. And that has an effect on the field. It tends to lessen the potential for doubt and self-criticism mm. and you know, feeling lost. So this is the way we cultivate. We call this meditation, this process. It's something to keep referring to. What you need to leave behind, what needs to be, what is furthering. What you need to leave behind, what is furthering. And you just keep that kind of equation going as experience turns. This is like someone who takes a a rough log from the forest and sees in this the potential for a beautiful ornament maybe. Well they see this potential in this. It's solid, it's rough, it's solid and they say well let's see we don't chip off these outer branches. It's getting in the way. Maybe this nice solid simple object now. Maybe you don't need the bark. And they keep trimming and pruning and refining. So where is the real quality within this that we need to leave behind? Leave behind, leave behind, leave behind. And as, an in, as, a, in, as a natural inclination, towards that which causes less stress, less rough. So we peel away the, the, the uh, diversities, the tangling, the roughness, the harshness, we come to that which is less stressful. Buddha is saying this is the way out of stress, which is less stressful with any situation. And through this process, as one is cultivating gradually, forms arise. Mm.
the last time I was in England, the monk gave me a little light pole that he fashioned, a very simple piece of wood, maybe only two and a half inches long, and he'd had a piece of old chestnut that was, I think, to be used for firewood. So he heat the uh, monastery. So he took this piece of wood, he didn't quite know what to do with it, started tinkering with it, fiddling with it, and see the grain in it, see there's something beautiful in the grain, and then the wish to offer. Chipping away, gradually sensing within this some kind of form was possible, and then this little light pull arising. And when we looked at it, you could see this beautiful quality because the grain flowed smooth curves around this round object with different colorations in it. And it wasn't like he, he definitely had this plan in mind, just chipping and chiseling and refining. Gradually this quality, this form coming out of it and through just what was beautiful, what is worthy to offer within this and what do we not need within this. So this kind of attitude I think is very conducive in meditation. It's not so we talk about generating a form rather than make sorting myself out. So then one can use meditation rather like a craft, just this is not needed. This is extraneous, this is the beautiful. And for this we do really begin to use the Buddha's advice, and what I'm suggesting is to abandon the idea of an entity. This one, because this one is the one that trumps and dominates everything, uh, and is, is the net aggregation of all aggregations, and although one cannot do without feeling, one cannot exist without becoming, or one cannot exist without sankharas, or forms, or consciousness, this self-experience can be curbed, uh, resisted, uh, dismantled, and relinquished. This is possible. So rather than feeling shouldn't be this way or that way. No, itself is not necessary here to make an entity out of it. The entity that resists it. The entity that favours it. The entity that longs for it. The entity that wishes they had the same as this other entity had. <laughs> <laughs> that can be abandoned. And the more that one tackles these, these outflows into entityhood, then the more steady one's going to be. Because it's it's a goose it's a wild goose chase. There isn't an entity. There isn't an entity who's getting a better deal than I got. There isn't an entity. There isn't an entity you could become who would be happy. There isn't an entity. Otherwise you'd have done it by now. How old are you? <laughs> You're trying it for a long time. Is it because you've got the wrong entity? <laughs> or you're born as the wrong kind of entity? 
or you haven't worked hard enough to make yourself into the right entity. Maybe there isn't an entity. <laughs> Maybe there's just directly deal with feeling, perception, formations, or activities, form, consciousness, and beginning to decline the invitation to get involved with it all. It's beckoning and it's invitations and it's pressures. It's seductions, it's illusions, it's fantasies, it's waving of trinkets and baubles and possibilities and options in the future in the next room. Yeah. In the perfect this. So we live in the imperfect. Because the most there isn't going to be that anything more than that. But there can be a non entity in it. And then there's a real wise handling and response to this challenging experience of these aggregates. And if the dismantling or the non-abiding or at least the non-fascination with and obsession with the self in it, then we've taken a big burden off the whole pile. We've taken the, the, the lock off of this, these aggregates. Then they become more available to be, you know, sensed, withdrawn from, cooled, uh, stepped back from, grown dispassionate towards. And this tense, this quality arises, making less of an issue about feeling, about perception, about one, the, the activities of the mind, making less of an issue out of it. This cooling effect begins to radiate across the entire field of experience. It gets less intense, less volatile, less triggered. And the thing becomes less of a weight and a burden. That is possible. You know, and you kind of take this down to very humble cultivations, you know. So, you know, I travel around a lot and recognize, you know, it's good to have some shelter, food is handy, it's going, but you don't necessarily have to eat every day, you can still survive. I'm not looking for much more than just surviving. <laughs> Enough to do the work I need to do is, is my is my aim. Just enough to do the work I need to do, uh, you know. And I generally get more than I really need. Yeah. So it's it's enough. It's enough. It's not going to be totally fulfilling, satisfactory, and so on. It's going to be enough because I'm not trying to make that that way. Just enough so as I can do the work. Um, stop seeking, choosing, complaining, grasping, fantasizing. Just stop doing that. I do have some choice over that. Over whether the sun shines or it rains, I don't have much choice over. But I can stop getting upset about it. <laughs> and just, you know, find a way. 
So, you know, you get this sense, I'm here, for example, to, you know, just be wrong. Okay, you know, sleeping for me is just like, well, you lie down till it gets too painful, then you get up. (laughs) 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 I don't really expect much more than that. I learned to lie on the floor on a little mat or something. Eventually, you know, you get about two or three hours in Okay, well that's it. Clearly, the need for sleep has not been strong enough to, to, to work against the pain. <laughs> so I started to get up, do something. And then, uh, and then, you know, you do things, you stretch, bathe or whatever. The same thing with the food, just enough to stop the pain. You keep it going. I mean, one tries to have some sense of wisdom around, uh, you know, um, is this food just literally, you know, sugar and air, no particular value that looks nice, or has it got something in it? But again, you really what's offered, you know, beautiful gestures and get, you know, to was on another day. It's not going to last, it's not going to make me feel never hungry again, it's not going to satisfy me. I don't ask it to, just to take the pain away for a moment, to give me enough so I can keep working on on my mind, on this aggregation. You know, and it's just seeing how your mind can concoct all kinds of, uh, oh, you know, they should, they should, I'm, he's getting, I'm not, he wants, and what it could be if I was somewhere else, it may be this, and that. Oh no, this is just making more pain. I don't want any more pain, I've got enough already. (laughs) You know? So one kind of begins to assess the qualities of the energy. Look, it's much easier just to, I can just about keep working on my, my, you know, my conscious activities my sense of resisting and favouring. I can just about get some leverage on that and be patient and spacious with that in my frantic mind. I can just about be patient and spacious with that. I can. I do not want to give it any more fate to get going on. So you just say, I just abide. And then within this turbulence you find, yeah, there is a stillness and openness it's blameless blemishless uh, selfless not mine not something that me has fabricated but something that is potentially there one feels confident because it's not certainly not me or mine and it's the place where the, the tides abate Oh, that's good. That feels more peaceful. The abating the tides, this is more peaceful. And that can happen. So then, yes, and then there is awareness, awakeness, sensitivity, spaciousness, from which one becomes more agile, more adaptable, possibilities can arise. And you know, well, this, yeah. If I die tomorrow, all those futures that I planned, if I die tomorrow and I have this, 
That's good. If I die tomorrow and those grudges about him and her and then, ugh. If I die tomorrow and there's this, that's fine. If I die tomorrow with all these senses of what I'm not and should be and wish I had done, oh no. If I die tomorrow with this, it's okay. This one seems to be worthwhile. One cultivates. So you come into this occasion for meditation, just pause, disengage attention, recognize attention itself is subject to the ties. I will get this. I'll get away from that. I'll have one of these. It's subject to the time. Check it. Pause. Wait. Listen. There is something there waiting for you. There is something there waiting for you. If you're quieter. Soft. Quality. Quiet quality is waiting for you. Pause. And then... Beautiful. True, peaceful, certain firm, resolute quality to it. What is that? And then what can you guess you could engage with to help make that stronger permeate through the entire field? What can you engage with? Is it breath? Is it a, an attitude or a mixture of the two? And abide with it. Linger, 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 linger. That's meditation too. To, to abide, to collect, to abide in, to discern, to linger, let it bear fruit. And it will do so. Because this chitta is fruitful. It's a fruit-bearing possibility. Now we have the seed, we have the soil, we have the nourishment, let let the fruits grow.